Yes, indeed, it is Masker Radio, and I, of course, am your host, Members Only Dave, on this, the ninth entry into the Massacre Radio Library. And man alive, do we have a great show for you this week. You know, typically we try to get two guests on per show, but some guests are so big they deserve their own spotlight, which is why I'm pleased to be joined by director Jeff Lieberman today. His book, Day of the Living Me, is out now. I was unable to read it in time before conducting the interview, but there's an old adage in the biz, and that is, the show must go on. And that it does, as we roll forward, full steam ahead. It's Massacre Radio, and we're just getting started. Come on! You're listening to Massacre Radio. My next guest is the acclaimed director of such classics like Squirm, Just Before Dawn, and Blue Sunshine, among others. Jeff Lieberman, welcome to the program. Thank you for your time today. How are things shaping up at your end of the block? My end of the block? Yeah, you know how sometimes people say, how are things in your neck of the woods? I'm just trying to put my own spin on it and come up with some new material. That's all. Oh, well, um, I think of it as like, you know, I'm on the far turn heading to the stretch in life. Mm Mm-hmm. That block, that's the eternal block. So I'm doing pretty good for an old guy. I'm 75. So, Jeff, I know you did painting and drawing at the School of Visual Arts. Did you ever end up making any animated shorts or anything like that back in the day? No, I didn't. Um, I fooled around with it a little bit in high school and made an animated short, but it doesn't really count because it was on 8mm and it was uh, like an art project. But other than that, when I got out of School of Visual Arts, I had never made any completed anything in the film school back then. You just wasn't part of the curriculum. And along those same lines, what are some of your favorite animators or animated features that really grabbed you and first sparked your interest in animation? Well, actually, my mentor, Ernie Pintoff, did a thing called The Critic. Can't tell you the date, but it won the Academy Award for Best Animated Short. And Mel Brooks did the voice on it. And uh, St. Journey was my school of visual arts uh, writing instructor and then he became my um, mentor that was my favorite animated so like i had mentioned in the intro you directed squirm what are some of the most interesting facts about worms you learned in your time while working on the film i didn't really learn anything about worms that i didn't already know except that, you know because i knew that if you put electricity into the muddy ground they'll come up and in fact that paid off when we did the movie. We lined the living room scene with uh, wires crisscrossed all over and hooked it up to a generator. And so when I said action, and, and then they spread the worms all over the wires. So when I said action, they turned up the voltage and the worms just all jumped up in the air. Now, it's no big secret that you were into the whole drug thing back in the late 60s, and part of that was the basis for your film Blue Sunshine. But my question is, in what ways did the whole late 60s drug scene influence you and your overall style as it pertains to the production of your films, even outside of Blue Sunshine? That's a hard question to answer, because anybody who has taken LSD, it's bound to affect 
you creatively, but you're not conscious of it. And I know everybody that I've talked to that, have, that did that and are in the creative fields, they saw trajectory in 2020 hindsight from the time they took LSD to the present if they're creative people. But I can't put my finger on it. I don't, I'll, I'll never know what I would have done differently if I didn't take it. You know what I mean? Acclaimed film director Jeff Lieberman is my guest. Jeff, throughout your career, how have you dealt with the people, the audience, misinterpreting your movies and their message? I deal with it easily. I don't deal with it. Um, my only allegiance is how close I get to communicating, you know, the distance between an idea and the finished product. You can lose so much in the translation. So I judge a finished product based on what was I trying to do versus what was left that's good at the end of the day. I don't need other people to tell me because that's my, my bar. The closest I ever came was uh, actually a uh, documentary called But Seriously that I did for Showtime, which is feature length. It's an hour and a half. <clears throat> but it was by far the closest I ever came to a finished product that matched my original idea. And one of the reasons was we had a lot of money, enough money to do it. How many unproduced screenplays have you written throughout the years, and which one of those do you even still want to produce the most? A lot of them. You know, you get paid and it doesn't get made. That's the, uh, the secret in Hollywood. I was making a great living writing scripts, not intentionally. It's up to the studio if they make the movie. But you make extraordinary amount of money for something that the public doesn't see. But there was one called um, Ripped in Woodstock that I did for um, Paramount. And it was um, uh, Henry Winkler's company through Paramount. And uh, that one, I always thought was, <laughs> was a funny idea and a good script, but it, for whatever reason, never happened. Jeff, it's a topic that's come up before on the show, and it always fascinates me to hear the answer. So I want to ask you, what do you think the secret sauce is between comedy and horror? Why is it that they go so well together like peanut butter and preserves or Sonny and Cher? I think that they have so much in common by the... The structure of a joke, the setup and a payoff, the uh, structure of horror, setup and a payoff. And they even uh, use the similar terms to describe the two. So it's about the timing of it, the unexpected. When you tell a joke and people expect the answer, they're not going to, the punchline, they're not going to laugh. And the same thing with horror. So you have to time it so you surprise them with something. So there's so much in common in the rhythms and then there's another thing that they both work kind of outside the accepted mainstream because if it was just ordinary stuff, why would you be laughing and why would you be scared? So it's sort of more akin to uh, rock and roll. You know, the audience will will accept something outrageous where they wouldn't in the classical music from the Philharmonic. So um, when I'm doing it's very liberating. You can do anything you want, or you used to be able to do anything you want in comedy and in horror. Now with this censorship that's going on, with, I don't know, it's like a McCarthy-esque uh, nightmare. But that's another story. Now, I've read that one of your favorite directors is Brian De Palma, his camera work, the whole bit. Why is it do you think he's not talked about amongst some of the greatest American directors? And what are some of your favorite films of his? Uh, first of all, I have no idea why. Uh, he's not. I mean, I don't even know the guy. I met him once, but he has such an individual. He's he's got such an imprint on, like you know, Brian made it, no matter what it is, which a signature, and that in itself is is something. His um, mixture in his early films, he 
he did what I was trying to do, mixing humor, horror, seamlessly, where it just seemed organic out of the situation. Um, he did it better than me. And uh, I don't know why, you know, maybe the, the idea that people pounded away that he was ripping off Alfred Hitchcock, which, come on, Quentin Tarantino, who I love, but he's ripped off. He's an equal opportunity ripper offer. He's He's been impacted by so many you know, he's encyclopedic of what he knows about movies, but he's used such a conglomeration of different things that you've seen in Grindhouse movies and all of that, and they praise him. And Brian gets hung for Alfred Hitchcock. I really don't, I don't know. I The one time I met Brian De Palma, I was in L.A., and it was after he did Blowout with John Travolta, and he was actually walking with John Travolta in a shopping mall. He was coming my way, and I said hello, and he knew who I was. And I said, you know, I think Sisters was two-thirds of one of the greatest movie, horror movies I ever saw. And he, he looks at John Travolta, he says, was that a compliment? Like, <laughs> it just went veered off. I don't know if you know the movie. Yes, I've seen it, but, yes. But it was so brilliantly executed, how to tell, if I was teaching a course, how to tell a story or a narrative that you don't realize that this leads to this, leads to this, leads to this with no fat. It's the first hour of Sisters. It's genius. Yeah, I too have always enjoyed Brian De Palma and his films, especially Hi Mom with Robert De Niro. That's the first time I was aware of him from that movie. I didn't even know Robert De Niro was. Nobody did. But um, yeah, that's when I knew him because he was in New York and he was using the same production people that I was. So they would always say, you know, Brian this and Brian that. I was aware of him, but I, I really liked his work. Jeff, in your estimation, what is the single biggest mistake you've made during your filmmaking career? Oh, boy. I can give it a top ten. <laughs> <laughs> mistake. Um, trying to do everything myself because I can't, you know, I just never got lucky with delegating or giving up responsibility to somebody else and how they come out to better than I would have done myself. More often than not, I wish they did it myself, but in, in the long haul, you're going to lose if you have that attitude. I didn't lose, but it was a try. You know, as far as comedy, if you read my book, I wrote a book called uh, Day of the Living Me. I'll give it away, but it, it shows at the end of the book that my regret in life is not trying stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy? You don't say. Yeah, I was more interested in that than the film in the beginning. Who were the comedians you really dug back in the day or even now? Oh, well, from the very beginning, I mean, when I would see Lenny Bruce or Mort Saul or people like that saying what the news was not telling me and it was opening my mind up to, oh, and then Bob Newhart. There's an album called The Button-Down Mind of Bob Newhart. I think it's 1960, so I would have been 13. I memorized it. I literally memorized the whole album. I think it might have been the first comedy album. And... uh you should hear it. I mean, it's funny now. It's so insightful. So he was another one. Then, you know, if you see But Seriously that I did, it, it was in 1993. I pitched it to Rob Reiner. And, and Rob's response was, how much you need? <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. And uh, Richard Crystal was my partner, whose brother, Billy Crystal. So we got every, if you get a chance, look up, if, it's on YouTube. Somebody uploaded it. It's called But Seriously. And it was 1993. And um, it's the one that came the closest for me to do two things. First of all, 
it was, you know, great to meet a lot of these comedians because they came to the opening at the at the uh, Directors Guild. And I met you know, Lily Tomlin and Richie Pryor in the wheelchair. He showed up and just all, you know, everybody that could come was there. The bomb went off in that theater. The comedy as we know it would be non-existent. That's amazing. It's just my second love or first love. I, I would call it my first love. I mean, just those two names you mentioned alone, Richard Pryor and Lily Tomlin. I mean, how much bigger does it get, you know? Were you ever able to see Richard Pryor perform live? Yeah, well, you know, I I, never, I sadly never saw him. I saw every minute of the stand-up he ever did, but I never saw him in person until then, and it's a shame. I saw Andy Kaufman when he was a waiter wow. at the Improv in, in uh, Hell's Kitchen, and I knew right off the bat nobody's ever seen this before in a good way. I mean, I, I was the only one laughing, but I was in tears. I said, this guy's from another planet, and he was just working as a bartender. Oh, you mean that even back then you could see his genius before he ever got big? No, 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 no. Bud Friedman let him get, the reason he was there as a bartender is because he wanted to get up. And Bud let him get up to the mic and do his uh, set. That's why he was there. But nobody, you know, you never heard of him. And the improv, for $5 cover, Bud Friedman would tell the audience, you know, don't expect, you're not at the Copa, you know, so don't expect <laughs> Martin and Lewis and stuff. He would make a speech. You know, people weren't used to what later on became the improv and these comedy clubs. This was the earliest one. And he took advantage of that by having this act that he could be the worst comic in history or the best. And he's so smart that he played the audience. But he didn't play me. I was on to him. <laughs> and I told him after this, I went up to him at the bar. I said, man, just keep doing this because... I can't imagine this guy not breaking out big, and I was right. Acclaimed director Jeff Lieberman is my guest. Jeff, I have a couple more questions, then we'll get you out of here. Looking back at your film, Remote Control, it doesn't seem like you fancy that one nearly as much as, say, your earlier works. Talk about some of the things that went wrong with the production of the film, and looking back now, what would you have done differently, if anything? Well, answering the last part of your question, uh, when I hired Kevin Dillon, and he kept saying, you're going to meet my buddy from Platoon, you know, my buddy, my buddy. And I said, Kevin, you're not doing Platoon anymore. I'm not an Oliver Stone. There's another movie. At that time, Kevin still had his crew cut from the movie. And I said, um, you got to snap out of it. <laughs> it's a different movie. And finally, I told the um, casting person, okay, let's see Kevin's friend. And they set it up and he came in and he had a crew cut too. And he was boring as shit. And uh, and I said, okay, I saw the guy, right? Then I'm looking at the videotapes. At that time, you watch VHS, a whole pile of them, of all the uh, casting interviews. And my daughter, who was a teenager, she was like 14 at the time, she walks by and she sees, she goes, ooh, who's that? I said, ah, it's Kevin Dillon's buddy. Thing. And she says, oh, he's gorgeous. I'd watch anything that he's in. I said, he is? You know, I don't know. <laughs> so it was Johnny Depp. So there's a regret. <laughs> you know, it would have been Kevin and, and Johnny Depp. But, you know, the funny thing about the movie is that I liked it a hundred times better than I did when I made it. Because when I made it, I was very frustrated. It was one of the worst production experiences, the worst I ever had as far as the company was doing seven movies at one time and they were small independent company. So it was, it was ridiculous. I mean, uh, Robert Downey Sr. made one of them. Penelope Spears made one. We were all making them at the same time. 
they were way over their heads. So they couldn't pay the right attention to any one of them. And uh, it was, you know, the video explosion. So it was very frustrating. But as far as the piece itself, it's so much more appreciated today than it ever was. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, you have a whole generation that spent half their youth in video stores and playing VHS. So they love the movie. People have told me... um, on the Blu-ray that they stop it just to look at the titles of the uh, covers of all the things on the shelves, which is very dubious how we got away with that because <laughs> you're not, you're not supposed to, but I mean, we had a thousand things on the shelf that we would have paid for it. Forget about it. So <laughs> I think the statute of limitations is up. I hope so. Jeff, talk a little bit about why it's important for directors to rely on their creative instinct. Well, if you don't have a creative instinct, you should, shouldn't be in the business i don't say you shouldn't be directing you know so you really have to say maybe i should do something else that doesn't require a creative instinct but you have to trust it over time you run you find out if you listen to people in a second you don't fault because you didn't go by your instincts and sooner or later you're gonna go i'm going with my instincts and you're gonna win more than you're gonna lose and that's my experience i would imagine that's most people now i'm like a hundred percent instinct you know i just don't question i don't bounce ideas off people so you just go with it if if i feel it's right i go with it yeah so what projects are you working on these days to keep yourself busy anything people can look forward to i'm working on things that i learned a long time ago not to say what i'm working on until you know in the business things don't come to fruition and then they'll be at some convention and i'll go whatever happened to you know and i'll go you know but I can tell you that the book, I mean, do buy the book if you didn't, but because it has picture, great pictures and stuff. But the book is coming out an audio book in October. And the voice is, I don't know if you ever listened to uh, Gilbert Gottfried's um, amazing podcast. Mm-hmm. Gilbert Gottfried had a podcast for like nine years. He had everybody on it. And his co-producer and the voice of the show was uh, Frank Santa Padre. And Frank did the vo- my voice. He he did my audio book. It's gonna be really fun to be listening to the book on the re- on the you know on my car radio. Jeff, where can people find you online if they so choose? Um, well, I'm on Facebook. I have uh, two accounts on Facebook. You know, one's a, what they call a fan page or whatever, and the other one is a personal five thousand person limit. So people text me. I think wait, who contacted me for this? You was on Facebook, Facebook Messenger. So if he could do it, anybody out there can do it. <laughs> My guest today was Jeff Lieberman. The book is titled Day of the Living Me. Go check that out. I know I sure will. It sounds like a hoot and a half. Jeff, thanks for joining us on Masker Radio today. I would love to do it again sometime. Oh, great. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be great. Massacre Radio. Thanks again to my guest, Jeff Lieberman, and to you, the listener, for joining us on this installment of Masker Radio. I have been Members Only Dave, your host, and uh, I'll talk at you next week. Hey, some of you may even see me before that. Hint, hint, wink, nudge. Anyway, I'm out. I'll talk at you next week. Wait, I already said that. See you later. All right.